For those of you who were not around last Sunday, or you were, um, yeah, you were somehow not able to hear the sermon, we were talking a little bit about um, fruitfulness, which I believe is a theme that the Lord has for us today. Um, and if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 54, uh, I'll do a very quick recap of last Saturday. Well, actually, it won't even be a recap. I'll just mention a few things um, and try to uh, kind of make a stab at where, where I feel we are going. Um, Isaiah chapter 54, and we'll read it from verse 1. We've read that chapter many times. And the question that we had last Sunday is that time after time, year after year, if we have read that chapter or you've heard something like that, and you find yourself in the same position as you were previous year and the previous year before that, um, does God really have something for us uh, this year? Why is it we can sometimes have great promise at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the ne next year and we come to the next, you know, the following new year, we can feel very disappointed and expect that there'll be the same old thing all over again. And, uh, and I, I've been praying about that and how, and, and asking the Lord whether He has something to say to us. And indeed, I believe that the Lord has um, important keys for us for this year. Let's read it from verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you have, have not been in labor. So the first thing we, we know is this, that the, the prophet is, is addressing something that is not, that is not, not bear, not travail, not. And I wanted to say that perhaps we can take ourselves to the limits of all that we have seen and how all that we could do and we have experienced to the place which Isaiah calls not. You did not bear, uh, not been in labor, did not bear. Yeah? Um, and insofar as we are at that juncture, at that kind of edge, the Lord is saying the barrenness with regards more that we have, that we admit to ourselves, is something that God wants to break. So that we don't keep on coming to the edge, the edge of, you know, did not bear, did not travail, and come back next year, back to the same place. Uh, Isaiah chapter 54 is about a breakthrough, and we, I know we hear this word a lot, but it's a breakthrough, that edge, into fruitfulness. And I feel that uh, there's plenty of scripture to tell us that the, the will of the Father is that we will be bearing much fruit. This is New Testament. When Jesus in John chapter 15 says, by this the Father is pleased that we bear much fruit. Yeah? So this is a promise that God has for us. Sing, O barren, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. So this is something that must be predicated on a supernatural thing from, from, from the other side. The children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Enlarge the place of your tent. This is something we can do. And let the, the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. <coughs> Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And last week, we spent quite a bit of time um, opening up this word, this phrase, do not hold back. Yeah? And we spoke about ways in which we hold back. We uh, find ourselves, <coughs> you know, in spite of the fact that there's much to be gained, um, we find ourselves hold, holding back. And we hold back because of the fact that there's a certain comfort, there's a certain autonomy in remaining in a certain comfortable place. Yeah? I know the word comfort zone is used a lot. May I, may I call it? Uh, more, a more clumsy thing, a, a comfortable zone. Yeah? Comfortable zone. The comfortable, comfortable zone is the zone in which we are in control. 
Because when we are in control, there's no anxiety. When we're not in control, we have anxiety. And uh, I've shared before that a poet, you know, um, spoke about the fact that we live in an age of anxiety. And there's more anxiety around because more and more is, is out of our control. Yeah? And so, so we spoke about that. For you will spread abroad, verse 3, on the right and on the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities, which is, which is what I feel the Lord is saying, that in our lands, the lands that God has put us, God has fruitfulness for us. Wherever God has put us, this is, I believe, something that God has for us uh, this year. And I want to ask why, why that would not happen and why it should happen. Okay, so these next few weeks, we will talk about that. We'll try to unpack it. God has for us fruitfulness in every way. Now, in Isaiah chapter 54, the fruitfulness that it's speaking about has to do with the fact that the contact that we make with the non-Christian world is going to bear spiritual children. Wow. It's going to bear spiritual children. Wow. If you've never experienced that before in your life, God is bringing you to the knot. He's bringing me to the knot. He's bringing me to the place where in my land, where God has placed me, relationally, um, God has fruitfulness for me there, right there. Now, some of you are thinking, oh boy, here we go again. But the fact that we will say that has to do with a certain disappointment that we've had, right? So the Lord is bringing us to exactly that point, to the knot. If we've experienced it before, then this word, you don't need it. But He's bringing us to the knot, where at that place we roll our eyes and we think it's not going to happen because it's never happened. So we are, we, are, we, are, we are here, okay? We are here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Spirit who hovers over us, but not only hovers on us, has penetrated into our old person, penetrated into the darkness of our own experience, the disappointment, the feelings, the fears, and taken the sword of the Spirit and cut into our tendencies, our flesh, so that we can be saved and to become fruitful. And so we welcome you today and invite you to come and not just speak a word externally, but take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and cut into our flesh so that you will touch the bone and the marrow. We do not want to waste time. We want to be changed by you. And if it is really true that this audacious statement that we can face our knots and experience fruitfulness in that very place in our land, we want it, Lord. What does it take for you to do that? We are all ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 1 talks about travail. Verse 1 talks about travail. Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, for you have not, you who have not been labor. And what God is saying is this you have a seed of something by the Holy Spirit in you. That's why travail and labor. Is a possibility. You can't travail if there's nothing there. But God has put the seed of Christ in you. And the seed of Christ taken into the land can have devastating effects upon the land. Christ then, not me, <laughs> not you. No matter how cute you are, you will not devastate the land. Cuteness is not going to do it. Coolness is not going to do it. But Jesus is going to do it. The thing about it is that travail is, uh, is, uh, is uh, predicated upon the fact that there is a seed. 
that is the Word of God. And if there is a seed in which you and I are pregnant with the souls of your family, your loved ones, your friends, and people who you don't even know yet, then you are sitting on a gold mine. Your land is going to be a place that is going to be hopping with things. Yeah. Now, it's possible that it doesn't. It just kind of languishes, even though the seed of Christ who created the whole world is in there. Yeah. But we've got to get away from the idea that my cuteness is going to make it happen. My cuteness is not enough. I know you're very cute. All of you are very cute. But it's not enough. Okay. So we are not functioning out of that cuteness. But we are functioning out of Christ who is in us. Now Christ is in us and He doesn't just flow. So much of spiritual life happens by travail. It comes quantized. It's quantized. It's travailed through. Yeah? In fact, the whole creation is in travail. The whole dynamic of precious things being coming into being has to do with travail. If you look at Romans chapter 8, I'll, uh, we, 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 it's, it's, it's full of words, <laughs> but uh, we will uh, brave that because I know we are a brave congregation. And I'll read it from verse 18. For I consider, Paul said, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, we said a few weeks ago that sons of God are different from children of God, right? Yeah. Being children of God is unconditional. God just brings us, brings us His grace. Sons has to do with the fact that you carry the inheritance and you manifest the inheritance, the acumen, the authority, the responsibility, the character of your father or your mother. Does that make sense? So what, what Romans is talking about is that we are in travail, the creation is in travail, the whole of, of, of nature is, is, is into this, that nature is wanting to travail for the birth of the sons of God, the, the little Christs. So your land is waiting for you. Not as the child of God only, but as the son of God. So we spoke about this a few weeks ago. Yeah. So it's almost as if, un, unseen by physical science, there is something that's going on in the inside of nature that has to be discerned. You know? And this thing has to do with the fact that nature, God through nature, is, is travailing to bring forth something that is going to redeem your land, redeem, redeem people in your land. It's the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 20, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Because the, all, all of creation is futile. Okay? We, we are born, uh, estragon in uh, uh, making of God, God, I think he says, are born as, we are born astride a grave. The moment we are born, we are dying already. That, you know, that as we get older and older, we are, we are faced with the fact that actually ahead of us is death. We've never experienced it before. But there's a winding down also, yeah? Even, there's, even as there's a renewing in that. And so, there's a way in which creation in and of itself is futile. All the things that we do, all our technology, all our, our education is actually futile. Every medical procedure will end up in death to the person upon whom the procedure has been meted out upon. <laughs> okay, including myself. <laughs> That is the future of medical science. It is going to follow us all the way to death. And maybe it can extend our life a little bit, but in the end, there is a futility in the whole thing. When you look at nature by itself, you cannot help but come to futility. Yeah? And there is something that C.S. Lewis uh, um, wrote that I, I thought it was... I was going to use the word cute, but uh, I, I'm just going to read it to you. 
and it's on creative evolution. One reason why many people find creative evolution so attractive is that it gives one much of the emotional comfort of believing in God and none of the less pleasant consequences of believing in God. When you are feeling fit and the sun is shining and you do not want to believe that the whole universe is a mere mechanical dance of atoms, it is nice to be able to think of this great mysterious force with a capital F rolling on through the centuries and carrying you on its crest. Moving on, getting better and better. If, on the other hand, you want to do something rather shabby, which means bad or probably morally bad, the life force, being only a blind force with no morals and no mind, will never interfere with you like that troublesome God we learned about when we were children. Okay, nowadays we don't often learn about that troublesome God when we are children. But people of his generation believe that this troublesome God was a moral God. The life force is a sort of tame God. You can switch it on when you want, but it will not bother you. All the thrills of religion and none of the cost. Is the life force the greatest achievement of wishful thinking the world has, has yet seen? So he's talking about another view of life and of nature uh, that is actually in the end futile still. Yeah. Okay, so that's verse 21 in Romans chapter, chapter 8. That the creation itself will be set free. Oh, sorry, verse 20. For the creation is subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Yeah, that we will become sons. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, we ourselves, ourselves are in travail, are groaning. Wow. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we have it in us. Yeah? We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. Even our bodies will be redeemed. Yeah? For in this hope we were saved. Okay, I'm, we can keep going. It's good stuff. Romans chapter 8, right? So we're talking about something about travail. That how travail is the way in which God actually brings forth the seed of His nature, His power, and His redemption through us. If we have a view maybe unconsciously, of the way nature works or the way things work, there's something that is kind of like the creative force and something that's, that's kind of smooth. We will, be, we will be surprised and we will be offended by the fact that life is difficult. But if we think of the fact that the difficulties of life are a travail, then what's happening is this. Um, Romans chapter 8, the f next few verses come to pass that as we enter into that travail, knowing that the travail has to do with something of a seed inside us, all things will work together for good to them that love God and are called upon his, according to His purposes. So travail is something. And sometimes what happens is this. We think of the Word of God as, well, we're just waiting for it to happen. I'm still waiting. It's now 19... Oh, sorry, 20... <laughs> oh, that was bad. What was it? 2023. And it's still not happening. I'm waiting for the word. I'm waiting on the word. I'm waiting on the word. I'm waiting upon the word. Hoping that this life, life force will actually make that, that word come to pass. Hoping that it will happen. But the way in which fruitfulness works is not that way at all. It has to do with the fact that we who have a seed can travail in it. Now, there is a groaning that's going on in your spirit, whether you notice it or not. It's in your spirit. It's not your emotions. It's not in your soul, it's not in your mind, it's not your, not your feelings, it's not in your body, it's in your spirit. Your spirit is groaning, okay? Your spirit is groaning. Trust me, it's in the Word of God. I don't feel it, but sometimes it pops up in my emotions because it penetrates into my emotions. If I'm in prayer, my emotions can actually feel it. But when I don't feel it, it doesn't mean it's not happening. Does that make sense? There is groaning that's going on. There's an underground groaning because 
Your spirit cannot bear for you not to be a son of God. It cannot bear for you and I not to be unfruitful in the land. Not to be fruitful in the land. Does that make sense? So there's a way in which God has called us into this and, and He puts His Word in us. He puts in His Word in us and it's a small seed. And when, when that happens, your spirit starts travailing. Not your soul. Your soul will experience difficulty, suffering, all that kind of stuff. And your soul will think, ah, this is just external suffering. This is, this is totally natural. It's cause and effect. It's psychological. It's all that. No, what I'm saying is this, that because your spirit is suffering, is, is, is experiencing this travail, there are times in which your soul will see the manifestation of that. Okay? That'll see the, the manifestation of that. And when that happens, we have to not give up. We have to not get bitter. We, not have, we have to not blame people. We, don't have, we, we have to not blame the world. We have to somehow enter into the different dimension. You may be right in blaming other people, you may be completely correct, but you have to change your dimension because if you don't, you will be destroyed by the, those complaints. But there is something of a greater reality that is greater than nature itself. It occupies nature, but it is greater than nature and it has to do with the groaning of the Spirit. What it will do is that it will make you and me fruitful. So, so that's where we are going this year, by the grace of God. The next thing I want to say about travail is that travail for fruitfulness contains the Word of God, but the Word of God is not just an instruction that you have to do something. The Word of God has to do with the fact that God is doing something already. It has to do with the fact that God is already moving on this. All this thing I've just said it may be completely new to some of us, and you're thinking, since when did this start happening? When is it going to happen? I've got to tell you, it has already been happening. You are on the, on the road. You are in the current. I, when I lived in Malaysia, there were times in which I would be in places where I plant church, plant, be involved in church planting, and uh, and we took water out of a well. How many of you have dr drank water from a well or taken a bath from a well? Okay, good. I don't know whether you've experienced the same thing. You have to actually let down the, the, the pail, and then you have to let it down onto the surface of the water, and you can hear it. Pum! Okay? And then you have to... Right? You've got to do a twist. So it'll fall, catch the water, and go up. Take some skill. But when you pull it up, you, you, you're pulling up a dead weight. Right? It's a dead weight. You carry all the weight of it up. The water is not doing anything. Then you come to America. And America is a super tech place. You can actually turn on a tap. And the tap, the water is already going. And you have to put your hand under the, the water in order to catch it. Because it's already happening. Was the water flowing before I opened the tap? I actually didn't know the answer. I was asking you. <laughs> so I guess it was, right? <laughs> okay, it was already doing that. Uh, but I had to open the tap. If I did not switch on the tap, I'm sorry, that's a Malaysianism. Uh, not open the tap. I don't mean open the tap, but switch on the tap. But if I switch on the tap, water is already flowing comes through and says, where were you? Right? Where were you? Where was your dirty plate that I was waiting for? I was already moving. So I don't want anyone to get the idea that when God says it's His will for us to be fruitful, He's like this sales manager and says, how many cars did you sell today? How, many, how much fruit did you, did, you, did, you, did you have? Tut, 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 tut. You didn't sell any cars, then you're out. That is not what the promise of fruitfulness is. It's not an imperative to be fruitful. It has a promise that fruitfulness is already rumbling in your spirit. It's already in the land. Even though you've not experienced anything. Alright? But there is this thing called travail. 
And travail has, is, is predicated upon the word that God has put inside you, right? And also the fact that he's already working. Got it? Okay, I hope that's, that, that, that's clear. We have to get this ground clear before we go into the doing, because the doing has to do with our part. But if we don't understand that, we will think, oh, here comes the doing, the practical part. Now I've got to do this. If I don't do this, ah. Oh. No, actually, God is actually helping us already. He's the main one that's doing the doing. Yeah? He's not only the being, being the, be, the, the, the one of being, but he's also the one of doing. Okay, let's have a look at this. In light of that then, we read in, in um, Isaiah 54, in light of the fact that God is already doing stuff in your life and my life, then we read Isaiah 54. We cannot read any part of the scripture without this perspective. Everything that we read, everything that we read is in light of the fact that God is moving. Okay, that's a good hermeneutical principle, a, a principle of interpretation. That is, whenever we receive a word, God is doing it. And He's doing the main stuff, actually. The stuff that He calls us to is just our part. And it sometimes seems like suffering, sometimes difficult. And, we, and I'm sure we've all experienced this in 2022. But... Um, Trust me, our part is very small compared with God. Okay. For the children of the desolate will be more than the children of her who is married. That's why it has to be supernatural. So he says, verse 2, Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Enlarge the places of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. So get ready, right? Make space for it. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, which which we were talking about last week. Lengthen your cords. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. So corporately as a church, I see this application that we are to stretch out our curtains, lengthen our cords, and strengthen our stakes. Now, on an individual basis, there are applications for that for all of us. And we will talk a little bit about that. For you will spread out abroad on the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. This is in light of that. God says, enlarge. Do not enlarge so that that will happen, but enlarge because in the light of the fact that it will be happening. Amen? Okay. And so there's a way in which stretching is an is a, is a, is a, is a interesting thing for us. Stretching has to do with stretching beyond our own experience, the shape of our own routine, the shape of our own, what we're used to, our own default modes. Um, it has to do with not being um, bound up by our own comfortable zone. Yeah. Um, I rec- recognize that, um, you know, I was sharing last Sunday, I will say, say, share it again, that there was a way in which, actually, I'm, this is not only my experience, actually, it's C.S. Lewis's experience. So I'm going to put it back on C.S. Lewis because last week I shared about my own experience of this. C.S. Lewis says that, you know, when he was very young, when he had a, headache, uh, when he had a toothache, he would never tell the mother, his mother that he had a toothache but he will say, do you have some aspirin? I did exactly that. And he says, I knew why I asked my mother for aspirin and not told her why she is, she, she, she is a, um, why I needed the aspirin. It's because if I told her that I'm having a toothache, the next morning I will have to go to the den- a dentist. And I don't want the dentist poking here and there and all that, finding things all over, the, over my mouth. And so there's a way in which and our Christian life, we're like that. We like God because He comes to our rescue. True? He heals us. He helps us pass our exams. Right? We heard that on New Year's Eve. He helps us with our agendas. When we ask God for help, we are in control. We are, he's in control, of course, but we are in control in the sense that we are asking God to help us. That means God come to my need. Right? And many people become Christians because they have a need. And God comes to our need. He comes to our rescue. You know? Um, He came to my rescue and I want to be more with Him because of that. 
But the thing about it is this, God wants to make us perfect. He doesn't want to just give us aspirin and take care of the little things that we want Him to take care of. He wants to be Lord of our lives and He wants to heal us completely. That's why Exodus says, be perfect as I am perfect. And that's the part that God wants to do to bring to birth who we are in the land. Okay? But there's a way in which we don't want that, actually. It's strange. All that that God has for us is just huge. It's just unimaginable. It's unimaginably beatific. It's such a blessing, right? But you know what I want? I want my comfort. I want it. I want to have complete control over how my mornings are spent, my evenings are spent, who I spend them with, what I do. I want to be able to control my environment because I have become less and less able to control things. So because of that, in spite of the fact that God wants to heal me completely, I would rather have the healing that I want and then call Him when I need a little bit more or when I'm more desperate or the toothache gets worse, then I'll say, okay, let's call Him. Does that make sense? We actually don't really want to be perfect. We want to be comfortable. We want to eat the foods that we want to eat. One of the most terrible things about having cancer is, you know what? You cannot eat what you want to eat. You have to eat healthy. You have to obey your wife who tells you you're not supposed to eat all that salt, all that sugar, all that, that whatever it is. You have to. Because God wants us to be perfect in health. Spiritual health at least. Does that make sense? But there's something of a pull, pull back into the shape of life as we would like it to be. And that's where the Lord says, stretch out the curtains of your habitation. The stretching out is naturally implies the fact that there is also a stretch back, right? You stretch, and so the garment, the, 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 the material experiences this tension. You are to stretch it out, and while you are stretching out, you will also feel a force of the material wanting to get back to its own shape. That's not a bad thing, okay? That's not a bad thing. Because when that happens, the material tells you exactly how much you can stretch. That means the material, the size of the material, the integrity of its stitching and, and the, of its material will tell you how much you can stretch. You will be able to stretch about this far. That means God is not a God who says, now you've got to do this wild thing. Right? Go out to Timbuktu without a bus ticket. No, he will tell, he will give you the bounds of the stretch, but it will be a stretch. It is doable by the grace of God. It is not irrational, it is not absurd. So when he says, stretch out the curtains of your habitation, what he's saying is to stretch it out over people. It will be uncomfortable, it will be a stretch, but your constitution allows for it. But you don't always live to where your constitution allows for it beyond our, your comfort zone. Because the comfort zone will pull you back, but it will, it will keep you in a place that is unfruitful. Does that make sense? So I want to I say that um, we are all challenged to stretch out not beyond the structure and the integrity of the material, but to actually stretch out according to what God has provided for us. I used to think, because I always used to hear these uh, supernatural stories about wild, wild things, I got the idea that the wild thing is the norm. When the wild thing becomes the norm, then you don't know what's the norm, right? Because the wild, wild thing is just way out there. There are no, no coordinates. There's no structure to it. And so because of that, I had this idea that God will always do wild things. And so sometimes young Christians are like that. God can do anything. No, He can't do anything. He can do everything. He doesn't do anything 
beyond the, 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 the point of what he wants to do, what's, what he considers possible. He will do everything. He can do everything, but not anything. Yeah? Not just the vagaries kind of thing. And so there's a stretching that God, God's calling us to. How this year works out will be dependent upon how we respond to God in this stretching that He makes doable. It is within our own vicinity. So that the idea uh, behind Isaiah 54 is that there is a tent and the tent stretches out to the immediate vicinity. What is the vicinity of your space? Yeah? People that you know? Things and places? Relationships? Spatial? As well as circumstantial? I like the idea that it's stretching to a limit because what it does is that it means that if God wants me to do something, He will give me a sign. He will bring somebody along the way. Right? Just bring someone along the way, and, and he brings this person along the way, and it, things happen. There will be a stretch because it'll be doing something I'm not used to doing. I was uh, talking to, Zephy was sharing with us uh, a few days ago, uh, and uh, in Princeton, the Christian Fellowship, they have this thing called Q for Q. You know what it stands for? Quesadillas for questions. So what they, they do is that they tell their, 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 their college mates, to give them a question about God. And if they do, they'll, give, they'll, they'll cook, uh, fry, or a quesadilla. Yeah, give them a quesadilla. Correct? So Zephi has given me permission to share that, and I checked it out, all the facts, to make sure that I'm, 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 I'm right. So she went with this, with this two other people, and she was concerned for them, because they were not that stable spiritually. But she went with them anyway, just to care for them. And the person who had asked the question had forgotten that she had asked the, the question. And so when she, when she and her friends went to that dorm, she suddenly saw that there were about 12 people there and they were doing something else. So you feel awkward, don't you? You come in, you are wanting to do this religious, spiritual question and then answer it and have a spiritual discussion and all that. And everybody's there, not for that, but to do something else. Watch TV or something or some other party, right? And so there's immediately the stretch, right? There's immediately the stretch. Now, the stretch is not undoable, but it is uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to argue that the more you stretch, the more comfortable it, it is. So they went in there. And Zephy and her friends just kind of pushed the envelope and just went in and talked about it. They had to get over a hump. The hump was that this is so inappropriate. Oh dear, it is so inappropriate. Why I no every one of those twelve people are regretting that we came. Right? I mean, this is what we all face, right? Nobody wants to hear that. We came here for something else. We came here to watch football or, we, or whatever. And you are there, you're like a stick in the mud. You are the least welcome person. But they had a long conversation. And everybody started asking questions. And she said, today, all 12 of them who are not going to church are going to church regularly. Can you imagine that? Sometimes these things are awkward, but I want to pinpoint certain things that are in us that make it hard for us. You know what's hard for, for us? We are, it's hard for us to say something or do something that will cause the other person to feel uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable on behalf of the other person. I'm not sure by what factor that discomfort for us increases when we project upon the other person's uncomfort, discomfort. I think that's what keeps us quiet. Keeps us right there. And the devil can just do that. I just do that. I just give you that little one. You can't even deal with it. I boxed you already. I pocketed you. Right there. And so the, the discomfort of that 
Um, I've got so many examples of that. I have not much time to, to actually talk about it. Our neighborhood, we have several people in our neighborhood. We live in a cul-de-sac. And one of the things that has happened because of, um, especially Cindy being willing to make conversation, bake cookies, do these things, and talk about God, is that for one of them, we will, we have prayed for her as she passed away. If we didn't start a conversation with her, telling her about her, her soul and how much God loves her, she would have gone to eternity full of fear. How do you get to that place? Tell me. How do you actually talk about deep things that require a person who is dying to be able to catch on to something and be saved? You have to, someone has to be prepared to do the uncomfortable thing. The moral wrong of not going there, balanced with the fact that, you know, it's, it feels wrong somehow to not talk about these things, is unmistakable, right? It's morally, we, have a, we live in a society in which being awkward is, the, is, is a moral cardinal sin. But the matter has to do with the fact that there is somebody's life who is, that's in danger. And since we've moved in, in, in our house, we've had one healing I, opposite the, uh, the opposite neighbor. We've had uh, his, the gardener who was very, 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 very uh, much in pain, slimping, couldn't do his work. So Cindy just went to him and says, can I pray for you? Of course, we had to talk to make it less awkward, right? Get to know the person, to be really interested in the person as a person. And then he says, oh, I'm having pain and all that. Can I pray for you? She prayed for him and he was healed. He started jumping up and down. After that, he was just like palsy-walsy with, with us. The, the person who employs the gardener has come on Zoom to our church before. She and her, her partner. The next one, the next neighbor, has come to our church and has sat here and got prayer from us. One day I was, uh, I was uh, in the office and Daniel showed me a bouquet of flowers. So where did that come from? From your neighbor. And so since then, we've been, pray- we've been praying with her, and she, she shares things that are, you know, precious, you know? So there's a way in which there's a certain awkwardness. Now, here's what's awkward. We sometimes are able to talk to people who we don't know more, more easily, don't you think? When you talk to somebody who you know you got to see every day and after you've shared the gospel, you're just like, don't mind me. It's harder, right? Because we're invested in these relations. These are long-term relationships. Yeah? But what if God wants to speak through you? What, is, what if your land it will be fruitful only on account of these things, right? And so th- that's how God actually causes things to happen. Now, I do believe that the Holy Spirit is not he doesn't delight in awkwardness. He doesn't delight in us taking the most awkward route to that. But I believe that he is at work. It's very interesting. Um, if you buy Levi's jeans, the first time you put them on, they feel so tight. But if you keep on wearing them, they feel more comfortable, right? because they've been stretched out. So there's a way in which we grow in comfort so that our comfort, comfortable zone begins to increase. It doesn't become autonomous anymore. It becomes something that under the, the freedom of Christ, under the obedience of Christ, we become more free. There's a, there's a, there's a short story by, I believe, E.M. Foster, and, he talks, and it's called The Machine Stops. The Machine Stops is, is about how... Society in the future, this is a dystopian future, 
has become controlled by the machine. It does everything for you so much so that the people can't actually walk for anymore. They just sit or they lie down and everybody's lying down and they communicate um, through technology. And it talks about how because of that, society as it has become um, more and more advanced has become weaker and weaker and weaker. The whole short story, it's a great story. Um, it's about how two people rebelled against that and began to s decide that, oh, before I say that, um, that's how the powers that be kept everybody separate. So everybody is separate. Yeah? They don't have any communication. They don't have any kind of uh, touch. But two people, a mother and a son, decided that they are, they're going to meet each other. And so they decide they're going to break the system. And, 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 and come and meet together. And it's a, it, this whole story is about how they actually meet together against the weakness that has been inserted into them. Yeah? So there's a way in which God is actually doing this. He is practically bringing us to places in which if we are listening to the Holy Spirit and we have good enough relationships with our friends, the trust becomes stronger. Does that make sense? So you don't just talk to people about the gospel without having a relationship with them. P part of why the Holy Spirit moved in my campus, and in which lots of people came to the Lord, is because of the fact that they saw me, they knew me, and because of the fact they would trust me more than they would trust a preacher who's more powerful than me. But as a bridge, I could do this. I could be a transitional object because of the fact that they trust me. All I needed to say, come to this meeting. It's pretty cool. And then they would come. And when they would come, all the needs that they have, all the phobias they had, all the pain that they had, that they never told me would come out. All I needed to do was bring them into the presence of God and the presence of God would do the rest. Yeah? So I want to, I want to believe that we don't like, need to be like the inhabitants of the world in the machine stops that, aren't, that find normal things of interaction become, to become more difficult. Yeah? When I was in uh, Malaysia in, I believe, August? Is it August that I went? Um, there, was a, there was a couple that came up for prayer. Uh, he was an Englishman, and she was a Malaysian Chinese. Um, he had esophagitis. It's an inflammation of the esophagus. And they had tried to put a, a stent into it, and the stent punctured the esophagus. And so the esophagus started ble bleeding and it leaking. And so the lungs and other parts of the body were experiencing sepsis, and he was dying. But there was no medical place for him because of the fact that, you know, where they went, where they were, from where they were living, um, there was, it was overcrowded. The hospitals were overcrowded and all that. And uh, his wife had advocated for him. And uh, when she was advocating for, her, for him, she met my uncle, who was a cardiologist, and he brought this couple to church. They were, not, they were not Christians at that time. They were not Christians. But in August, they came up for prayer because they were very desperate. And I prayed for them. And, uh, and, and, and my uncle, who's a kind of a well-known cardiologist in, in KL, um, he was expressing it, expl explaining it with great urgency. you know. And somehow the Lord put into me a little seed that we should pray for him seriously every day. So I prayed for him and I said, let's have a kind of a, a, a chain of prayer that we will pray for him every day. We came back to Malaysia in November. Okay, Came back to Malaysia. And guess who came up to the front immediately after I finished preaching? This couple. He was completely healed. Completely healed. Now, what ha now, 
he was healed not just because I prayed for him, but because his wife advocated for him. And she made herself a nuisance. They went to another hospital and she made herself a nuisance because she knew one thing. She had to fight for her husband. She had to fight for her husband's life and her husband was dying. And uh, there, was a, there was an attending physician who said, there's nothing we can do for him. He's, he's, he's beyond hope. And she just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Talk about awkward. She stretched and stretched. But she stretched to the extent that was legal. And they gave him all the care that he needed so that the care, the medical care as well as prayer, healed him completely. They were both Christians. They are now both Christians. And I looked at his wife. She looked like, I don't know how to describe it. We have this phrase, bully baits. She looked like somebody who was going to push for things. She was going to fight for her, her husband. Sometimes we have to fight for those who we are praying for. Those in our family and those that we love and those who we are believing God for. All for that miracle that God has placed in our heart. It starts off with being able to discern, be able to hear the, the, the particle that God puts into us. If you do your devotions, you are going to have no, no end of opportunity to hear from God. But there are also ways in which we can hear from God situationally. Yeah? Uh, many of you have heard of Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor uh, speaks about the fact that her calling is to call out breakthroughs of grace. When it happens, boom, boom, boom. Eh? Amen? And, and uh, you know, James Joyce, who's not a Christian, but he has a very strong Catholic uh, influence, talks about the fact that in, 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 his, in his book, The Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, he says, the, the, it's autobiographical in, in many ways, he says, and then I found my calling. It was to report on, opportuni- op- on epiphanies whenever there's a God thing happening. You know that it's, ep- it's the Feast of Epiphany? Yeah, we are there to report, report on epiphanies. Yeah, there. And you and I can be good reporters, right? right? We can report on epiphanies, a word that God spoke, some revelation, epiphanies. Epi has to do with the fact that it's... Uh, uh, something intensive, something powerful, something strong, rich, epiphany. So we are in the feast of epiphany. And, 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 and James Joyce says, and he's not even a Christian, he has enough of the image of God in him to be able to say, there are such things out there. And as Christians, epiphanies will happen. But what we do is we don't just think, oh, that's fun. Hmm. And then move on. What we do is we keep it like Mary, treasure it in our heart, pray over it. Amen? I believe that God has this for us. What's the practical takeaway? Know this, that God has put a seed of fruitfulness in us. You're already living in the midst of it, in your land. God wants to use you mightily. He has anointed you already. It's there. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to pray for that seed. The seed is already there. It is already travailing in you. If we are people of prayer, if you are people of prayer, and you are joining a group of people who are praying all the time, what happens is that we pray in the Spirit as much as we can. Sometimes we, you, know, you don't know where you're going. You don't, nothing, nothing showing up yet. And then something, as we pray in the Spirit, it says the Spirit, First uh, Corinthians, is edified. He begins to be more uncovered. When that happens, there is no, 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 not so much of a separation between the spirit and the soul, our feelings, our minds, our will. And, the, and, and, and it pierces through and penetrates into our soul. And then we are aware of these things. Yeah? And so when we do that, we allow these things that are the seed of fruitfulness 
in our land to pop up during our prayer time. Yeah? And so that's where I want to encourage us that we do that. Be willing to be able to say, I disavow my comfortable zone, the zone in which I am totally autonomous. It is more worth it for me to experience the fullness of God rather than the futility of my own comfort to actually believe God for that. Let us pray. We welcome you, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. You are the one who has been flowing as water all along, even before we came. So we welcome you, Lord, to activate us. Activate us, Lord, for serious things. Not just fun things, but serious things, Lord, that can make a difference in people's lives. We welcome you. Just open your heart before the Lord. Open your hands before the Lord. I know disappointment can sometimes make us think, oh no, I'm going to push this away. I can't, I can't face another disappointment. But I believe the grace of God is here to make everything new. Holy Spirit, we just thank you right now that we were made for this, Lord. We thank you that we are beautifully seeing our calling being unfolded right before us, that beautiful present that you are unwrapping for us today. And so, Lord, we ask right now, whatever is in us that needs a touch from you, Lord Jesus, where we have felt hurt in any way, and so we want to walk away from the present um, even though it's a good thing, we bring you our hurt right now. We bring you our hurt. Yes, Lord. And we say, Lord, make us sons and daughters, daughters and sons that can fully enter the kingdom this year like never before and find the joy that is there. We pray in Jesus' name for what the enemy did when he cut, he cut that place of bone and began to separate even parts that were normally working before, bones, God, that would allow our legs to move properly to the right people, our arms that would cause us to give gifts, even other um, normal things that you've given us. And we welcome you to heal and bring those parts together right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You died for this. Amen, Lord. We welcome you, Your blood right now flows. And we receive the healing. The life is in the blood. In Jesus' name. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to enter in, settle into those places that were autonomous before, but you're saying, Lord, on account of those places, you want to move even through our own comfortable zone. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. We welcome you, Lord. Holy Spirit. The Lord is breaking barrenness. He's melting it away right now. feel the Lord wants us to just take in a deep breath. This is the air I breathe. Mm. Just take in a deep breath. And sometimes during the day, we just need to do that and just breathe in the Holy Spirit. Healing is happening right now. You may feel it. You may not. Just breathe in the Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Lord. Lord, we bring before you the lands that you have put put us in, the people, the precious ones, the loved ones, some of whom are open to you, and some of them do not appear to be open to you. 
We bring them all under you, under the ever-flowing stream of your love, knowing that there's much more happening than what we can see. So take our eyes up to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.